Good morning. I'm David Goldstein with Eisner Amper, and thank you for joining us today as we discuss changing trends in operational due diligence, how allocators are reacting. This panel is obviously in response to uh, the pandemic and how allocators to hedge and private equity vehicles are currently process and modifying things as, as we go along. I am joined today by a panel of experts that I'm going to ask to introduce themselves, uh, starting with Anne. Hi, my name is Anne Story. I'm the CEO at DMS Governance Americas. Um, I've worked at DMS in the governance risk and compliance area for over 15 years um, and I look forward to speaking to everybody today. Thank you. Debbie? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm a partner with Seward & Kissel, which is a law firm um, based primarily in New York and D.C. Um, we're a financial services law firm, and I work with investment management clients, really helping them with all aspects of their business, including fund documentation for hedge funds, private equity funds, and managed accounts. Um, and I also work with them on compliance and regulatory matters, and I've been with the firm for over 12 years. Thank you, Debbie. Terrence? Hi, I'm Terence Grady. I'm the Director of Operational Due Diligence at Corbin Capital. We're a $7.5 billion asset manager based in New York, and I've been with the firm for 15 years. Fantastic. And again, I'm David Goldstein. I'm a Director of Business Development within Eisner Amper. I sit within the financial services vertical of the firm, and we currently service approximately 1,300 hedge funds and 1,000 private equity vehicles and have one of the largest financial services practices in New York. So my first question is gonna be for Debbie. Debbie, in your experience to date, if a manager has personnel working remotely, the key legal and regulatory issues they should be mindful of and expect to receive questions about during a due diligence process. Great, thanks David. I think this is something that everyone has really been you know, thinking a lot about as the kind of remote working environment has gone on, I think a lot longer than people had expected. Um, and so I think there's a number of different things that managers should be thinking about. Um, I'll start with the first one probably being one of the most obvious, which is cybersecurity and business continuity plans. Obviously, many people had to enact their business continuity plans and think about how employees were going to be working remotely and what systems they had um, and consider giving people <clears throat> you know, laptops and, and computers and things. Um, and so there are, you know, a number of things that managers have already done, um, but cybersecurity is something that people need to be very focused on. Um, there have been, you know, I think a, a number of increased instances where there have been, you know, phishing or ransomware situations um, where, you know, a number of employees may have inadvertently, you know, clicked on different links and given information and passwords. Um, and so these are things that, you know, managers really need to be mindful of with, in particular, you know, employees that have any personal identifying information of their clients and really just any employee because they all likely have confidential information about the firm on their computers. Um, and so one of the you know, best ways to deal with this issue is really just to have training um, and also just some you know, kind of mock phishing exercises where you would have a firm conduct these types of exercises and drills for employees so that they're aware of these types of different issues um, 
you know, one of the other things to also just think about is that, you know, network security in the sense of the fact that people are working from home and whether or not people have, you know, personal Wi-Fi and different passwords, um, if they're going to be, you know, potentially trying to maybe get out of the house and go to work at a coffee shop or something like that. Um, you know, thinking about, um, again, having some kind of VPN or other type of virtual private network so that there isn't going to be kind of inadvertent access to the manager's systems. Um, Another thing that a lot of our managers have done is have kind of dual factor or multi-factor authentication so that if someone is logging into a computer, it's going to also ping a cell phone or something else so that you can be, you know, clear that it's actually those people that are going to, you know, kind of access the material, have the right to do that. Um, you know, and firms should really just think about whether or not they have protocols in place for cyber breaches. <clears throat> there may need to be, you know, notifications to not just clients, um, you know, but also regulatory bodies, including different states. There are very specific rules in relation to all of that. Um, and the other thing to think about is really just whether or not your service providers <clears throat> the protocols that they have in place for cybersecurity and whether or not they have breaches, particularly, you know, administrators where they often have very sensitive financial data about all of your, um, you know, clients. And then also, obviously, you know, auditors who may also have, you know, social security numbers potentially, um, you know, for K-1s and things like that. And just, you know, speaking with them about their cybersecurity and in particular kind of during these remote work environments and what procedures they've made their employees, you know, go through and what type of training they have. Um, Another thing that we've seen a lot of our managers do is make sure that they have cyber insurance policies. Um, this can obviously cover a number of different expenses if you were to have a cybersecurity breach, um, you know, such as any legal expenses, forensic teams, notifications. Um, obviously, if you had a situation where you had a ransomware attack and you needed to pay ransom, it can also cover those types of things. Um, and so that is something that I think a number of managers have looked at. Um, I would say the next topic to really think about in relation to working at home is really just confidentiality. Um, and so here, you know, I think managers should remind their employees about the confidentiality obligations that they have, particularly with respect to more sensitive information, whether that's portfolio information for analysts, whether it's different client data. Um, and this is going to be especially true for people that are working with home and obviously have other people in that <clears throat> home with them, whether this is family members, you know, significant others or roommates. Um, and so, you know, employees are going to need to have a process around whether they're going to be able to, you know, print materials, where they're going to keep those. Are they keeping them in kind of, you know, locked places? Is that possible? Um, and also where they may need to take confidential phone calls. <clears throat> And if there are, you know, different places within the home where they can do that, obviously, you know, maybe more difficult for people living in kind of smaller New York City apartments, um, you know, but again, kind of thinking about the best that they can do. Um, and also, you know, this is going to be particularly relevant if you have, you know, for example, other people living in your household who are in the financial services industry, whether they you know, maybe work at competing firms or they work at public or private companies, employees should obviously be aware of the fact that, you know, they could inadvertently in these situations maybe get some material non-public information. Um, and they may have, you know, more 
um, ability to get that because everyone's at home and taking phone calls or they may, you know, see a document that someone inadvertently left out or something like that. And so that's going to need to be, again, you know, I think most of these things are going to be addressed with training. And so it's going to be important for people to be aware that these may be increased instances where, you know, formally they may not have had this type of contact, um, you know, with with their roommate and, and kind of at least in their working environment and have this information but now they might have it. Um, the other thing is also obviously just maintaining secure passwords on all of your devices so that no one else is going to be able to access it, whether that's you know your phone where you have email, um, and then obviously the computer. And again, just thinking about making that as secure as possible and changing those on a frequent basis. Um, and these may be kind of additional things that managers will need to think about for their employees over the longer term, you know, if um, if people are not going to be returning to the office for still, you know, several months from now. Um, and then I would say, you know, the final thing that I would talk about is obviously key person risk. Um, and so I think this has, you know, unfortunately become a real issue um, <clears throat> and reality for a number of managers to think about. And one of the primary things obviously here is if someone, you know, were unfortunately <clears throat> to contract COVID and, and be unavailable for potentially a significant period of time, what effect would that have on the organization? Um, and obviously, you know, I think most often people think about this in the context of the portfolio manager. And of course, that's very important. Um, and so there you would need to think about whether, you know, there are additional analysts or multiple portfolio managers that could step up and take on that role. Um, but it's also going to be important in relation to other roles within the firm. So whether that's, you know, operational roles or CFOs or COOs, um, you know, if you have, for example, just an organization that has only one CFO um, and they are really responsible for all the operations and the financial data and things like that, then, you know, the manager is going to need to think about either cross-training for other employees and policies and procedures in relation to that, or thinking about how maybe their outsourced service providers can help in those instances, whether that's, you know, the admin or legal and compliance functions. Um, and obviously, you know, to the extent that they maybe use outsourced training, then those people may be able to help as well. Um, but I would say, I mean, overall, I think this is a situation where managers just need to be kind of, you know, thinking maybe a little bit outside the box, thinking about things that they may not have <clears throat> been concerned about before. Um, and there's going to be, you know, probably more of a pressure on the policies and procedures that managers have in these types of environments so that, you know, allocators and, and investors are really just going to be comfortable with what they're doing. A lot of uh, things to think about. Um, moving on, Terrence, I'd, I'd like to ask you, what are the points of focus which are new or receiving more focus in the past six months or so? And as a follow-up to that, what changes do you believe will become a permanent part of your overall due diligence process? So I think Debbie has, has mentioned a lot of the areas that really have been, I would say, a change to our approach. Um, I would say one of the biggest impacts of the pandemic has been the change in focus from purely institutional to now a focus on the individual. You know, as she rightly pointed out, key person risk in all facets of the organization has now become very, very real, unfortunately, now with the um, widespread 
impacts of, of this disease. Um, I'd likewise move on to BCP. Um, you know, previously, as we've always looked at BCP, you were always focused on the centralized process. Now you're looking at the majority of managers working in a decentralized model. So your fitness and adequacy, but also the risks of these new sub-offices. You know, she's already talked about confidentiality and privacy, but also I think work-life balance is something that's going to need to be addressed. I mean, you know, somebody put it to me very well recently that initially the first couple months, it was like a sprint and everyone had great ideas and everybody was, you know, adapting well. Then it became a marathon, but now there's really no end in sight. And I think that has been very, very interesting. And as you look forward to, you know, recruitment, training, but I think one of the bigger challenges has been corporate culture. That's an area that we've always been very focused on in trying to understand as we go on site. But it's also been a challenge, I think, for a lot of managers as to how to maintain a carefully crafted culture, which in some cases has been developed over a period of time. Um, briefly, vendor due diligence. It's always been a topic of interest with regard to key service providers and counterparties. But I think, again, what brought it more into focus was, again, the individual. So I give the example of rolling power cuts that impacted India earlier this year. And suddenly realizing that the person that's doing your margin calculations may not have power or internet connectivity the following week. But I think the bigger question is, how did you view that service provider in the beginning? Did you look them as a member of your team and actually know where these people lived? Or was it that you just relied on the standard BCP for the institution? And I think for many, it was the latter. So I think that has been, in my opinion, a positive change, but definitely a change in focus. I would say the other thing, though, that has been huge and not necessarily driven by the pandemic, you know, we've been focused on ESG for a couple of years now, but I would say the bigger one in the last six months is the DNI. Um, and I think it's an area that previously the larger institutional shops were focused on, but really the asset management industry happened. And that to me has been a major point of focus for us, I would say, in the last six months. To get to your second question, you know, what would I like or what do I think will change? Um, I would say one of the things I hope will change as a result of this is the transparency. Um, you know, I think generally it has been a little uneven in the past with regards to you know, what people would share in advance of meetings versus what you could see in-house. And I think now a lot of those hurdles have been crossed. So the, the classic example being the compliance manual. I can't go on site, I can't see it, but it's a very important document. I would say the vast majority of the managers I have seen this year are sharing it in advance, either in a read-only version 
are actually just sending it to me. So I think from that perspective, I think that has been a real positive, And it's something that I hope will continue as we go on. The other one I think is potentially um, huge for the industry is the working from home. And for many firms, that's been a huge cultural shift. So what I'll be interested to see is, you know, I think most of our managers have expressed how pleasantly surprised and pleased they've been at how effective their workforce has been. It'll be interesting to see if we get back and when we get back to the new normal, whether they're going to adopt their policies to allow this uh, going forward. And obviously the impacts that that's going to have on recruitment, on the types of personalities being hired, your training mechanisms, and also then your corporate culture. And feeding back to my DNI, what I'm fascinated is if you allow that function, that flexibility, um, how will that impact the turnover at firms by allowing those with more challenging home situations to have that flexibility to accomplish both roles? You know, does that flexibility revert, result in a more diverse workforce? And ultimately, does that impact the success of those organizations? So those, to me, are the big ones. Um, real estate is obviously something that's been written about frequently. I'm not going to revisit here. But I think they're, they're the main ones that I look forward to. Great. Thank you very much. You know, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, it's just a topic that we could obviously discuss for hours on end. Quick follow-up for you, and I apologize to the panelists because I'm going a little bit out of order. When you talk about transparency, what makes this different than, we'll say, the financial crisis of 2008? Because after that time or during that time, transparency was all the talk. And then over the years that followed, it kind of trailed down a bit. So what do you think is different now? I think for many managers, um, there was a concern about sharing documentation outside of their control, as in posting stuff to a data room that would allow people to take it down and then losing control over that. So for many, as people like myself came on site, it was a very easy thing to park you in a conference room or even to walk you out to a trade floor and let you look over somebody's shoulder. That obviously can't happen now. And I think, you know, that has been a, a big cultural change for people where it's, it's meeting the rock in the hard place. I don't want to do this, but I can't get an investment otherwise. How do I deal with that? Because the simple facts are people like me who are already badly missing out on our in-person meetings because Zoom, we have done a lot of work on Zoom, on WebEx and you know Teams, but it's not the same as sitting across. So I do need more. And I, I want, I have to be able to get that verification. So I think that's been a big, big cultural change for a lot of firms. And we have seen tremendous difference. I would say prior to 
the pandemic, I was receiving compliance manuals and such materials from 50% of our managers, approximately. Now it's well north of 80%. So it'll be interesting to see, does that revert back when we go back to on-site meetings? I hope it doesn't because I really don't think it's that risky for people to share those documents. You know, screen sharing works perfectly well for the more live things like trade processing. Um, and I, t I certainly sympathize with you as, as a business development person. I spend the majority of my time meeting with various counterparts within the industry and obviously prospects. And I'm greatly missing that face-to-face. -face. Very much so. Going a little bit out of order, but um, I, I thought it was topical. But um, let me ask you, uh, when considering an appointment as a director to a fund, in addition to the issues that we've already discussed, what changes to your due diligence process has DMS implemented during the pandemic? And have you seen any new red flags when evaluating a manager? Yeah, in terms of, you know, there's two parts. So DMS, we've definitely changed and, and brought in what we look at when we're onboarding new managers. Um, but I'd also say that the role of the director has brought in a great deal. Um, in terms of taking on new managers, we've certainly seen um, during the pandemic, a lot of our existing managers launching new funds and new strategies, taking advantage of some of the volatility. So, um, you know, that's given us a lot of comfort. But when looking at new managers, it's just similar to what you would have done before, just making sure that they have um, reputable service providers and the right structure set up from the very beginning that we would get um, comfortable with. Um, but you also need to think about if it's a brand new manager starting up when, you know, thinking about when you're going to be taking them on, um, is it a viable investment strategy, you know, during, during a pandemic? Um, there's some that, that are just not going to be viable that, that don't make sense. Um, do they have investor relationships? How are they going to set up the infrastructure, um, you know, internally, uh, remotely, if they're just launching and it's just a startup? Um, a lot of what Debbie and Terrence brought up in terms of things like BCP and technology, it's it's a lot harder when you're just launching a new fund or a new investment manager um, for the first time during a pandemic. It's a lot easier when you already had a firm set up and you're just launching a new fund and you need to enact or strengthen a lot of those policies and procedures you may already have. Um, so I think we're going to take a lot more or we have been taking much more of a critical look at new managers launching and how they're going to deal with some of these challenges. Um, for some of our existing managers, um, we're looking at uh, are, how are they going to be able to provide some transparency to their investors. Um, so a lot of what Terrence would say, that's I think that's very much a function of what the director needs to be doing. Um, so they need to get more involved than they probably have been in the past. Um, new investors coming on, we've definitely seen um, taking phone calls from ODD professionals, um, a more enhanced look. They're more dependent on the service providers and, um, you know, you, you can't physically go in and see the culture and see what the communication's like internally when you would meet a new manager. So they're reliant on talking to the existing directors. They want to know what the communication's like outside of a board meeting. They want to know what type of questions they're asking, you know, how they react to being challenged. Um, we're getting a lot more of those phone calls, whereas typically you know, we would get those, but probably just not as much right now because the investors are heavily dependent on, you know, reliant on a lot of the service providers and checking in and some of that information. Um, 
you know, we're we're looking and in terms of the role of the director. So we're looking at their BCP plans, their technology, how they're managing all these home offices, um, you know, if they're able to fulfill all their duties. Um, how they're interacting with their service providers, if their service providers beyond just the directors, but you know all the other service providers are able to um, manage the load of working from home. Um, you know things like that you wouldn't think about with side letters. Are they able to fulfill everything that they they need to in side letters? Um, so just making sure that there's a broader understanding of how they're going to be able to manage in this pandemic. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about in terms of DMS's role. It's, it's pretty much stayed the same, just thinking about some of the broader considerations, but I'd say the director's role has brought in quite a bit. Excellent. Let me ask you just a quick follow-up on that too. If, if you see a deficiency in a manager, is it something just check it off and, and, and keep watch on it? Sorry, it broke up for a second. <laughs> My apologies. If you see a deficiency in a manager's operational controls, do you offer them advice on it? Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's an, a deficiency identified, it's, it's not a matter of just offering advice. You have to ensure that there's, it's going to be remedied. Um, so it's definitely something that if there's a deficiency, we would we need to see it fixed and we need to see what the solution would be. Um, you know, I think Terrence and Debbie alluded to this as well as we're seeing a lot more managers dependent on outsourced professionals. So more than just the, you know, the traditional service provider of um, auditor, admin, and so on, you know, a lot of, prof a lot of groups are reliant on um, outsourced compliance firms, out outsourced accounting firms. So if, if there is a deficiency, you need to see what the plan is and, you know, maybe coach them and talk to them about going to another provider um, where they can fulfill some of, uh, some of their needs there. So we'd like to wrap things up um, by letting you know that we will be sending out a presentation to everybody that has attended. And in that presentation will be all the contact details for myself and, and my fellow panelists. And we would encourage you to reach out directly with any questions you have. And we thank you for joining us this morning.